Hey there, Multi-Amory listeners. It's Dedeker, and I just want to announce that I just did a big update to my online course, Building a Solid Foundation for Non-Monogamy. I've added more exercises, more journal prompts, and more discussion questions to tackle with a partner. And I'm also running a summer sale where you can access the course for a discount. So for a little bit of backstory, last year I launched this online course. I created it because over my many, many years of working with clients, I noticed this pattern where Many people would come to me already knowledgeable about non-monogamy. They've listened to countless multi-amory episodes, they've devoured all the books, they follow all the Instagram and TikTok meme accounts, and yet they still hit these snags in their relationships. They still feel misunderstood by their partners. So I thought it was about time to bring some evidence-based and research-backed practices into the mix to help people create a solid starting ground for their relationship as they journey into non-monogamy. So if you head over to dedekerwinston.com slash course, you can preview the intro to the course and you can see if this is a right fit for you. Go to dedekerwinston.com slash course and use promo code MULTI20 at checkout to get a 20% discount. If you are a Multi-Amory Patreon subscriber, you will get a special code for a bigger discount. So go to patreon.com slash multi-amory to get that discount code. And remember, if you are in financial need, please don't hesitate to reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and you can literally name your price. I'm serious. You can name your price at a dollar and you don't even have to give me a reason why. In fact, I'd prefer you didn't even give me a reason why because we really believe in how important it is that there's an abundance of relationship resources that are available and accessible. Again, go to dedekerwinston.com slash course, promo code multi20, or reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and name your price. I've struggled with jealousy and insecurities a lot more than Finn has. And for me, it's been a struggle for many years, but I've seen growth in the conversations we're able to have and my comfortability with different things and recognizing that I can handle like the emotions better. So it's not that the emotions don't come up. Jealousy can still come up or whatever emotion but I'm learning how to navigate that smoother for myself. And I can tell that because it's getting, well, not always easy and definitely not perfect at it. It's, it has gotten easier. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we are back answering some more of our questions that were submitted by our patrons. And this time we are joined by the hosts of the podcast, Normalizing Non-Monogamy, Emma and Finn. They've been together since their freshman year of college and have been practicing non-monogamy for over 10 years. They started a weekly podcast called Normalizing Non-Monogamy in 2018, where they interview people from all over the world who are exploring non-monogamy on their own terms, authentically and without shame, to just get those stories out there and help normalize non-monogamy, like it says on the tin. Well, Emma and Finn, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you. It's good to see you three. So something that I saw on your website right off the bat, which I was kind of shocked by, is that you started the podcast right before quitting your jobs and going to South America. That's so cool. And just I I feel like I have heard these stories of entrepreneurs kind of starting businesses on a whim and just being like, I'm going to quit my job and, and move somewhere and do something really like radical and awesome. So can you talk about that a little bit? And also, like, why you wanted to create this podcast and where you are and what you're doing now. Yeah, for sure. And I will say it was sort of thought out, but also not super well thought out. So the the podcast was not thought out as much. The traveling to South America was a long time coming. Yeah. the, the, The trip to South America was about eight years in the making of saving and figuring out how to do that. 
the podcast idea popped up about five months before we got on an airplane. And so we sort of like whipped everything together, did a bunch of interviews to like uh, give us a little bit of a backlog and a little bit of breathing room because we decided to do it weekly. And I have a, a <laughs> lot of perfectionism that doesn't allow me to ever miss a week. And so it was like, if we, we're going to do this. So <laughs> is, is, is like, is non-monogamy podcast, podcast just thing, where yeah. all the perfectionists go? Because that's a problem that we're dealing with too. Well, we're going to start a support group and it'll be, okay, we'll, make a, we'll make a weekly podcast out of it. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. The, yeah, so it was like, we, we had been dreaming of traveling and this idea came up and I couldn't let it go. And I got Emma on board and. She's enthusiastic now, but it was <laughs> it was a little tricky in the first month or two. There was just a lot going on. We were they, we were quitting our jobs yeah. and trying to like do other things. That it was a lot. There was a lot going on. And so we just went for it. And yeah, it was wild and crazy. So many interviews we did, like on like a Wi-Fi hotspot with like chickens and dogs and cows, huh. and it was it was rough. Amazing. But we yeah. we we did it, and we're back, and yeah, all is good. So yeah. So if you were going to ballpark it, like how many people do you think you've interviewed up to this point? So we have 200 and let's call it 250 episodes, roughly. Uh, we Probably around 500 people. Yeah, somewhere okay. in there. Wow. Wow. And so like that's such an interesting data set, right? Where I know you're not necessarily like running a study in any formal terms, but of course, like as you're getting exposed to people's stories, you get to know what are the really common things, what are the surprising things. Um, and so I, I'm wondering, like, have you stumbled across anything unexpected from talking to so many people about their non-monogamy journeys? Yes. I think, I'm going to let Finn chime in too, but I think for me, it's, I, it, we've talked to probably around somewhere 500 people and every story is different. It's still every story is different. Like there's overlaps and there's common themes, but everybody handles situations a little bit different. Everybody lives a different life. And that still like always hits me. Yeah, I would say it wasn't for me. It's, it wasn't a surprise. It was almost confirmation that I think leading up to this, starting the show, we had always heard and even run into a lot of the like the swinger poly like split, like we're swingers. We don't do poly. We don't have feelings or we're poly. We don't do the swinging casual thing. And when we started talking to people, it was like, yeah, we're all just doing this. And it's very much of a, like an amorphous thing. And the, the line, if there was one, is so blurry that I don't know that you can see it for most people. I really like that. That reminds me of several years ago when we had Cooper S. Beckett on the podcast, him talking about how in reality, there's a lot of polyamorous folk practicing things that look a lot like swinging. And there's also a lot of swingers who practicing things that look a lot like polyamory. It's just we're not necessarily using those labels that it's, it is a little bit more amorphous, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And Co Cooper does great, great work. And I think maybe on that same thread is the, I hesitate to say that like swinging is the, the precursor to polyamory. But we have talked to a lot of people that they start and it's a, like a very rigid box of like, we have all these rules and it's going to look like this. And as they start to do it, they're like, you know, we're a little more just open. And they, so it's not that one led into the other, but I think people start from a, a more of a place of like fear and rules, I think, create that, that sense that can get rid of that fear. And as you start to learn it, the rules go away and the, the box gets way bigger, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what you've experienced in, in the difference between people you've talked to who opened up a previously monogamous relationship versus people who, you know, maybe had done that before, but then when you talk to them, the relationship they're in now has started being polyamorous the whole time or, or swinging the whole time or, or whatever it is. Have you noticed a difference in those two in terms of, because that, that starts very different if you start being open from the beginning. There's less of that. Ooh, we need to put up guardrails to protect this thing we've already been doing a while. Y you know, understandably, even mm -hmm. if they eventually move away from it. I'm curious, what's what have you noticed in the difference with the interviews you've done? That's a good question. I think what I, my, my anecdotal evidence is it's way harder to take 
a long-term monogamous relationship and crack it open. I'm not I saying would it, agree. And I'm not saying it can't be done. And I will even say this. We did sort of what I would probably label as swinging for the first 13 years of us doing non-monogamy. Oh, and wow. even, even sort of cracking into, hey, f- we're, we maybe fell in love with somebody. We did fall in love with somebody. That was even hard for us having been open to the level of having friends with benefits and ongoing, you know, friend relationships. So I think it's a lot, what we've seen or what I've seen is it's a lot harder because there's so much to undo versus Mm. this is just how we are and how we've always been. Right. When you come, when two people come into a relationship that is open from the beginning, they've assumed, I guess, that they have some vocabulary, they have maybe some experience and they, it's, their relationship is living in this certain way right from the beginning. And like when people have been monogamous for a long time and then they have to try to change everything, it's just, it's an undo learned behaviors and it's, it's just a lot harder. Not definitely possible. Seen a successful a lot, but it's hard. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you're building your initial connection and trust and intimacy with each other around this one particular framework to then like remove that framework from underneath it and rebuild something else is tough versus, yeah, if you started that way, you're kind of building that trust and intimacy already within that structure. So that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think what we do see and hear quite a bit is, hey, we want to be non-monogamous, but let's do monogamy for six months or a year. Let's, Let's build a little base and then crack it open. But they kind of go into that time knowing that that's what they're doing. And I think that's a little mm. bit of a different approach and one that we've we've actually seen people do pretty successfully. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's a great data point. Yeah. Do you feel like you had preconceived notions about non-monogamy or just notions in your own doing it for a long period of time that have been changed through the interviews that you've done on your show? Have you like learned anything really new or or just been surprised by something that has sort of potentially altered your perception of what non-monogamy means to you? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, so for me, and I believe for Finn too, but I learned something from talking to every single person we've talked to. So I learned, I take something away from every interview. And so, yes, it's definitely changed the way I think about non-monogamy or look at non-monogamy because it's opened my eyes to struggles that other people have had benefits of other people, like the way other people handle it has definitely influenced, given me a lot of data points and information to learn from. And so it's hard for me to like pick one thing to say like, this is the one thing I've learned or this is the one thing that's changed. But my definitely overall perception um, has changed just mostly because I've learned a lot more. I've been exposed to obviously a lot more. Yeah, I would say mine's very similar. Maybe one that just as I was thinking that like, I guess I'd never come up against is the like monopoly dynamic. And we get emailed about that like weekly. And so yeah. now it's like, oh, wow, that's a thing where people have to navigate. And then, you know, it all the things that come off of that, that can be really challenging, but also super beautiful. Like we've talked to quite a few people who do it and it's amazing how they can make that work. And so maybe it was just, that that was a dynamic that exists that I didn't know existed before. Mm. Yeah, so it's so good talking to other non-monogamy podcasters because (laughs) so something that I think about a lot with this show is it's really hard for me to think about how my relationships would be if I hadn't spent the past eight years like talking about relationship stuff and communication stuff and also having a partner where we're talking about these things literally every week on a show And so it is a little bit of a mind trip to think about how that affects you. And so I guess I am curious to maybe drill down a little bit more specifically. Do you feel like you've made any particular decisions in your relationship or in the way that the two of you communicate to each other based on all this exposure and all these many, many hours of conversations with other people? Yeah, a great question. (laughs) And, And I think like you said, it's so hard to pinpoint where they were. I would say absolutely. I don't know what they all are, but I will say there are days, many of them, where we're like, we do this for a living. Uh, we talk about it every day. We've interviewed 250 people. 
why are we still making these mistakes? And mm-hmm. like, and it's like, you know it, you watch it coming. It's you standing in the road, watching the truck come and you do it. And you're like, why did I do that? And so that, I, maybe it's just the awareness. Sometimes I think it's the awareness that like, there's a better way and I know I got to get there. And how do I get there? I mean, I will say getting into therapy, that was big. We, we had avoided it for many, many years, partly financial so we could save up to travel. But like at, at a certain point, you're like, what am I doing? And I think we started to hear that theme and we we're like, we probably got to get on that train um, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and see what that's all about. And deal with our own shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing I would add is that, uh, as Finn mentioned earlier, we were kind of friends with benefits, more in a more casual non-monogamy for many, many years. And then in 2020 is when uh, we started more down the polyamorous road. And so good, we, good time for it. 2020. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. Yeah. It was great timing. Uh, so but the for me and I think doing the podcast, talking to all these many different people, it gave me more exposure to polyamory and not that I hadn't had it before, but I I hadn't been in that place. And so I think it gave me a lot of uh, knowledge and more confidence going into that than I had previously and from talking to as many people as we did. Would you say that perhaps doing your podcast and talking to more polyamorous people normalized it for you <laughs> i would i would definitely not say that yeah <laughs> on, somebody, on somebody else's show <laughs> yeah do you just like slip in your podcast name into every conversation <laughs> yeah. it's, it's always awkward when people say it on our show they're like well you're really helping normalize them and we're like okay yeah, we- <laughs> yeah. Like, that is the goal indeed <laughs> amazing yeah. oh gosh all right okay so so, so let's get into talking about some of the questions that our patrons wrote in for this week. And uh, basically, we'll just kind of kind of discuss them. Some have more context than others. And I'm going to start us off with one that does not have very much context. So, so here's the question. It's, could y'all talk about non-monogamy normalization to yourself a little bit? I like, I feel sort of ashamed exploring this when my partner doesn't want it. So I feel like there's like a few different levels and pieces inside of this. Yeah. Um, like internalized so. normalization, I think, and also normalizing it outwardly and then feeling mm-hmm. ashamed about wanting to do it when a partner doesn't. There's a lot he, to unpack there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, listeners. It's the three of us from the future, actually. Whoa. We're editing this in after the fact. Wow. Cool. Be it's excellent like whole- to each other. Yeah, it's like a whole two weeks after this episode came out or, or something like that. So um, the reason why we're jumping in right here is that um, after this episode came out, one listener pointed out that some people may hear this question and our response to it um, and what we focused on in our response to it and assume that because this question asker mentioned their partner not wanting non-monogamy, uh, this listener pointed out that some people may hear that and assume that that means it's okay to disregard your partner's consent and that it's okay to force them to be non-monogamous when they don't want it. So firstly, like with all of our Q&A episodes, there's usually a lot more context and background to each question that gets sent to us um, that gets edited down or not left in, mostly for purposes of time. Um, so there's that. But also, let's just set the record straight and make it abundantly clear it's not okay to disregard your partner's consent in the relationship and force them to be non-monogamous or monogamous if they don't want those things. It's not okay to force your partner to do anything. Yeah, and as somebody who's had some lived experience around this question in general, I have a partner who I am monogamous with currently, who I was polyamorous with for a number of years. And after, you know, doing polyamory for a number of years, we realized that he super wasn't into it and that it was not really making our relationship better. It was actually damaging our relationship in a variety of ways. And so I had a choice to make. Am I going to choose to break up with this person or am I going to stay with them? And I chose to stay with them. And that meant that polyamory was no longer on the table. So I wasn't going to coerce him into continuing to be polyamorous when he didn't want to be. Instead, I decided for myself and for the sake of the relationship that I was going to not do that anymore. And that's where I am currently. And that's 
some people's decisions and that's going to be not what some people choose to do. Some people, on the other hand, are going to want to break off the relationship because they find that they're no longer compatible. And that's totally okay. Whatever works for you and your relationship and, you know, the the state of the multiple people involved. So we encourage you from every level that you possibly can to just think of what is best for you and your partners. Yeah. And we've mentioned many times in the past that when you have those incompatibilities, one of you has to change your mind or it just doesn't work out. And that's okay. That's not a failure of either of you. It just might not be compatible in this particular relationship, even though that really sucks when it happens. So, oh my gosh, look, our time machine's about to leave. We better go oh no. run and get back into it. Uh, and we're gonna and we're gonna let past Jay Stedeker and Emily and Emma and Finn get back to answering the question that was asked. Zoop, zoop, zoop. Yeah, for sure. Well, so one thing I wanted to say is a quick disclaimer ahead. Uh, we say this in the top of our show. We're not doctors or therapists. We we have done all of our learning through the learning as we like anecdotally and and running the race with everybody. So there's that. And we also like on the normalizing piece, we are not fully out yet ourselves. So if you go to our website, we don't have photos yet. It's something we're working towards. So we struggle with this shame as well. So I just, I want to re- sort of relate to this person in that way that like that, that is a very real thing that we even struggle with under the name that we've created. So the, if I were to give advice, it's find community and surround yourself with the people that don't make you feel ashamed of it and, and sort of to help you feel it normalized around you. Because when we get around quote unquote, our people, like a lot of that drops away and you start to see like, oh, okay, it's not, it's not like it is right here in my, maybe my small town that like the world is a little bigger than that but it is hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit difficult because um, this particular question doesn't have a ton of backstory context um, attached to it. But when this person talks about feeling ashamed exploring this when their partner doesn't want it, you know, again, that could be, there could be a lot of different possibilities going on there. And I think this is a situation where um, our former guest from, I guess, gosh, last year, Martha Cowpey, talked a lot about differentiation and healthy differentiation, where I think that means needing to figure out, you know, where is the shame that is just, this is kind of my own shit. This is my own stuff coming up around this. Is there any shame that's actually directly coming from my partner? Like any kind of maybe bad behavior, shaming behavior, or is my partner just having some feelings and some struggles and I'm having shame in reaction to that? And I think none of those are necessarily inherently bad things, but it does seem like it's important to to really get clear and take an inventory around the shame and the guilt of what is mine, what actually is coming externally versus internally, what belongs to me and what belongs to my partner. Yeah, I just want to own this. Uh, this is something I do really, really, I guess, well or poorly. Uh, I do it a lot. <laughs> I will take. I will take Emma can make a very nonchalant comment. And if it's something that I'm ashamed of, it was clearly her judging right? Even mm-hmm. if she didn't mean to. And so I, this is, I think this is exact, exactly what you're talking about is to pick apart that internal versus the external shame. And it is, it is so hard. And especially if maybe it is in that monopoly dynamic that we were kind of just talking about a minute ago, where the other person could be like fully supportive, but even just by them not doing it with you, there might be some like feeling of being judged or that I'm doing this wrong because look at all the other monogamous people doing it like my partner and I'm I'm the quote-unquote weirdo I'm the one going against the grain so I yeah but the thing is if you look more and more too it is becoming more and more and more popular I guess I don't necessarily I don't know if that's the right descriptor, descriptor word, popular, but it is trying to avoid saying normalized I am trying to avoid (laughs) saying normalized (laughs) it is I guess there's more mainstream, like there's more movies, there's more um, articles out there. It's getting more and more normalized out there. I'll use the word, but it's <laughs> it's just slow. It's really slow. Yeah. I have a lot of empathy for them. Yeah, I do too. We had a recent guest who talked about how 
uh, sometimes you win the postcode lottery, and that actually is going to go into our next uh, question in a second here. But sometimes it's harder for people who don't live in a huge city. I mean, Jace, Dedeker, and I both, well, all, th- all three of us live in Los Angeles or Seattle. Um, and so it's just going to be probably a little bit easier to find like-minded people in that way. And I agree with you completely that online communities are great uh, if you can find or maybe even create a local meetup group. Um, look out for stuff like that. I know that Jason Dedeker, you've talked about going to different cities when you travel and finding meetup groups there. I think that's a really awesome way of doing something and and finding community wherever it is that you are. But I understand that sometimes that can be easier said than done. Yeah, I just wanted to add one thing here. So besides what what Dedeker mentioned about that differentiation and, you know, Finn talked about that of like feeling shame come up if there's already like a seed of of shame or guilt about something this is something i'm i'm currently working on with my therapist it's like i i felt shame a few weeks ago where i suggested we go hike up this certain hill and dedeker seemed kind of lukewarm on wanting to do that and i felt like shame come up about suggesting <laughs> that we hike this hill right it's like it, it was it arthur's seat yes I it, think was. it was oh. yes <laughs> Well, <laughs> but there's, you know, there's some stuff that comes up, right? And I'm, I'm working on that with my therapist, but, but to come back to what this person is, is talking about here too, in terms of normalizing non-monogamy to yourself, that's one of those things that, you know, I think that community like Finn mentioned is really good, but also just understanding that it's going to take some time of doing it, that, that it's going to you're eventually going to get to this point when you've done it long enough and you've had different relationships too, you know, you and and hopefully your partner also have had various other relationships where the non-monogamy part stops being the defining trait of each relationship and that the issues and the the guilt or whatever is less tied into that. And it's more just because you have more experience with it. And unfortunately, being raised in a very default monogamy culture, we just don't get that. And so... So there is just something to be said for be patient with yourself and and understand it might take some time. Yeah, I just wanted to echo off that because it's such a good point. And as you're talking, I was thinking that's something that has definitely been true for me. And taking it's taken 15 years and mm-hmm. a lot of experiences and putting myself like for many, many years, I was very ashamed of it and like kept it very private and but at the same time, I knew I wasn't doing anything wrong. And so it took a lot, a lot of effort and a lot of internal work and a lot of just conversations with people in my life to get there. And so, yeah, just be patient. It takes, it takes a long time. It can take a long time. And before we go on to a few more questions, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some ways that the listeners at home can support this show, as well as some ways to join our Patreon community if you want to ask your questions to be answered on a future one of these Q&A episodes. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. And we are back. We're jumping into our next question from one of our patrons. And um, we touched on this already a little bit, but we're going to dive into it a little bit deeper They ask, would you be able to discuss how to overcome the fear associated with living in a conservative rural area and the desire to have open relationships slash be polyamorous? Now, Emma and Finn, would you describe the area that you're living in currently as either conservative or rural? Well, we have a sign when you turn onto our road that says, Joe and the Ho gotta go. 
And oh. Whoa. every <laughs> sign down the street is a Trump 2024 sign. Okay, so we're so, going to say so at least yes, and yes. Hmm. So yes. fairly, fairly uh, conservative. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. We, we at one point <laughs> we're living in my dad's house right now. He had the only Biden sign on the street. So, um, yes, it is very conservative here. And I don't know how to answer this because I have the fear myself. Like I, and maybe it's not so much a fear, but it is like, I'm not going to feel as comfortable. You, you've talked, uh, Emily about the, the postcode lottery. Like I'm not going to feel comfortable going and just hypothetically walking around holding two different partners hands at the same time. Not that I've ever done that, but like, I would probably struggle to do that here much more than I would in San Francisco. Um, so it's such a hard question. Cause I, I, I understand the fear so much. Um, yeah, let me think on that for a second. Uh, I do too, but I think there's an element to me is your own personal risk tolerance. So totally. if you're if you're in a position where you have a secure job, you're not worried about that, your family is like, if you feel in a very secure place in your life, then maybe it's an opportunity to be more out there, to help all of us normalize it, to help spread the word. Now, if you're not, and you can't do those things. And that's, there's no shame in that. You might, you have to protect yourself. And unfortunately, that just the way, that's just the way it is right now. So you may not be able to be out and open as much as you want. But if you're able to, yes, please do to help, to help those uh, more conservative areas for sure. Right. I was just going to jump in and, and you kind of touched on it a little bit. But I think part of this with fear is that fear isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? That that fear might be protecting you and keeping you safe, and it might actually be a really necessary thing for your health and well-being. Then again, fear can get out of hand, and we can be afraid of all sorts of hypotheticals that aren't really going to happen. And so I, I would just want to <laughs> at least make a mention of that, that it that part of it is evaluating which parts of this fear are irrational, or which parts am I maybe exaggerating too much and which parts are valid and worth, you know, keeping around to keep me safe and keep my partners safe. Cause that there's also that too. It's not just yourself even. Right. Yeah. And your family as well. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I just wanted to maybe clarify when I said I have that fear and maybe I missed the, the, the meat of this is that like, they're literally afraid of maybe physical violence, like physical react retaliation or losing their job or something like that. And, I think for me, it was like, I'm going to be more uncomfortable. I'm going to feel more of that shame here. Um, but I, I, yeah, I can, I know exactly what, what everyone's saying about like, if you have the secure job. And I think my, my piece to add to that would be if you do maybe have a city that is a little more liberal or a little more, a little less conservative, let's say that. Mm -hmm. to if you can commute there even if it's a half hour an hour and i know that may not be financially possible for everyone but we do have a lot of people that we talk to that say like i can't do it here and we go you know if we're going to go on in a date we go an hour away and and they do that you know maybe they do it less yeah. but they go to where they feel safer and again i know that's not a solution for everybody or possible for everybody. or some people just tell us they'll just they only go out on vacation when they're in places that they feel comfortable doing like to you mean they go on vacation to places where they yeah, yeah. they go on vacation to With places where people. they feel yes right where they would feel safe and comfortable doing that yeah yeah i mean that's that reminds me of something that we talked about way back years ago uh dedeker and i went to a polyamory retreat type thing and what really like struck us was it, it was the first time maybe ever that we'd experienced that being around people talking about our relationships, also just talking about whatever without having to have that kind of filter on all the time of who knows what, who am I, you know, how honest am I being with each different person? And there's just this kind of extra mental effort that you do. And while I think, you know, we need to do that and it's important to do, even if it's not fear of physical violence, but just fear of, I don't want to deal with trying to explain it to this person even that, right? That's still a pain. But but I do think that point of find something, even if it is a couple hour drive, 
it's it's worth it to at least sometimes get that break of like, okay, I don't have to put the filter on all the time. I can just be honest about what I'm doing. It's it is really therapeutic and helps a lot. Yeah, and I, on that filter note, and this is a slight tangent, but the and it's maybe tied back to the shame piece of like when let's say you're struggling in a relationship and it's like I'm having this problem with you know my partner and my other partner aren't getting along and it's like well yeah there's your problem you have you have a girlfriend and a wife that's that's why you're struggling today you're clearly that's your problem and if you can get into those spaces where you don't have to filter and you don't have to be afraid that when you share what's really going on for you that somebody can hear that and talk to you about your problem not the thing that they they think is societally wrong with you um yeah Yeah, that's a great point Yeah. yeah So our next question is how to pull away without pulling away. And to give a little (laughs) bit of context here, uh, this person is saying that they've been doing most, if not all, of the emotional labor in the relationship, but they're getting fatigued. And essentially, they want to take a break from trying so hard. I think they mean emotionally. But I'm concerned that my sudden slack in relationship efforts, so to speak, will set off alarm bells that might cause anxiety or a panicky or a desire, you know, or something essentially along those lines. Um, but they just want to kind of take the load a bit off. I think the mental and emotional load taken off a little bit. So how does one do that in a constructive way that's not going to potentially induce a lot of anxiety in the other person? So I can't see on our document uh, who submitted this question? I'm a little worried. It's myself oh. from a year ago. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> who sent in this time question? That I time traveled or like somehow was able to, yeah, like I'm really trying to reach out from the past for answers, which it does track. Yeah, because I feel like this was very much the position I was in in uh, my last relationship. Um, mm. And if there's anything that I've learned after talking to my therapist about it for many, many hours, it's that, so I'm, I'm really um, interested in this person saying that they want to take some kind of step to take care of themselves, right? Like they want to take maybe a step back or just dial down the emotional labor for their own well-being, but they're worried that if I do that, either my partner is going to freak out, become anxious, become panicky, and it's going to feel one-sided and not collaborative. And I think that I was very much in the same boat, was very much afraid of speaking up for what I needed because I was afraid that it would come across as criticism or come across as um, like scary to my partner or as a threat or something like that. And so what would happen in my situation was that I would kind of default to really trying to express these things in a very gentle way that really didn't convey my level of frustration and exhaustion, I Mm. think, and like how serious this was for me, that it was, you know, reaching the point of seriousness where I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And also I'm questioning the relationship. And my therapist kind of helped me realize that it it is like, it is possible for us to kind of stand up for ourselves in a way that is both clear and compassionate at the same time time. So I guess what I mean by that is the sense that I think it is okay to have a frank conversation with your partner about what it is that you're noticing and that like this is frustrating or that it is exhausting or that this is serious for you, you know, and you can talk about it in such a way where it doesn't have to be about criticizing your partner. It doesn't have to be about attacking your partner. It doesn't have to be an ultimatum of you need to change this or I'm going to leave. Like, I think you can be firm and be honest about what's going on for you in a way that's compassionate. Is it easy to do that? Certainly not. I would definitely recommend whatever it is that you can do to get yourself psychologically, physiologically calm and feel like you have resources so that you can convey this. But I guess just the thing is that like, I think trying to guess or trying to really passively communicate or just trying to be like, okay, I'm just going to try to pull away, but not talk to my partner about it. Like, that feels like it may add a different kind of stress and anxiety and exhaustion on the other side of it. That's, that's, that's my take on it. Yeah, I think, thank you for that. Cause this is a really hard one and one that is very present. Yeah. Um, and I, 
I don't have a ton to add, but it was a thought that came through in, again, it's sort of not knowing how, not necessarily knowing how well this person knows their partner or maybe what's going on, but just thinking about approaching it from a place of empathy, um, especially if you are trying to express like what's going on for you. So being able to say like, hey, over the last few months, I've been feeling like this and I've maybe noticed this change. And that doesn't seem like you. That's That wasn't that wasn't us a year ago. I wanted to check in with you. What's going on for you here? And sort of, it's not necessarily giving them the benefit of the doubt, but like, hey, this, this, this doesn't seem like you. Is there something going on? Maybe there's not, but maybe that's enough to bring their attention to like, I didn't even realize I hadn't been showing up or yeah, I know I haven't been showing up. Here's what's really going on. And just a, a different, maybe a way to approach that with empathy and being gentle, but not passive and and like trying to downplay everything is my only sort of addition and thought on that to kind of add to both we talk on the show a lot about emotional burnout and that that is and fatigue and that that is a real thing i i think especially right now it's a tumultuous time in our world and it has been quite frankly for a while uh and I think also with that coupled with potentially anything that might be going on that's intense in one's life it, for a period of time, it maybe just you aren't or they aren't, your partner isn't able to show up in the way that they would be at, at other points. Um, and I think that that's something for both people to be aware of if you're in a loving egalitarian relationship you should be able to come to one another and say hey i am having this emotional fatigue right now and it's not necessarily anything that you're doing but i and and maybe it is i mean this kind of sounds like this person is dropping the ball potentially here a bit but to be able to say the question or to say to your partner i am simply at this point unable to continue in the fashion that I'm doing just because I'm feeling this intense fatigue. I think that that is totally fine and is a way in which you can take care of yourself. And that's really necessary, especially right now. I think one other piece to add to this. So just looking at the context a little bit more, this person's talking about how their partner tends to be closed off when it comes to emotional stuff. And so part of the emotional labor they're talking about is trying to get their partner to, to open up when their default reaction is to just kind of bottle it all up, keep it inside and, and all that. And that's part of this, you know, burnout and frustration. And it's just something that I feel like needs to be said here too, is that... That may even, not be your job. <laughs> yeah, as much as we might want to, you can't do someone else's emotional work for them. Totally. And so, like, there's a there's something that uh, Dedeker's told me before that within therapy, there's this concept of don't work harder than your clients are working. Or basically, if they're not showing up and doing the emotional work, you could try really hard and you'll just burn yourself out trying to do it for them and nothing's going to change. They're not going to get any better and you've just made yourself suffer for no reason. I do think that's worth considering here, both in two ways. One is like maybe they really do need to do this work, but you can't do it for them. And if they're not willing to step up and do it, like this work you're doing, even though it comes from a place of love and wanting to better your relationship just might not be your work to do, like Emily said. And then two, it's also possible that it might feel like to you, based on your experience, that approaching emotions a different way is a better way and that they would feel better if they did it. But you don't necessarily know that either, right? That that might not work for them. They they might just have a different relationship to their emotions than you. And I'm I'm terrible about this. I want to do everyone else's emotional work for them who I care about, which is why I really just want to echo that. That's something I've had to learn a lot. And that's something we're thinking about here too, is that that maybe you're trying to do some work that isn't yours to do and that no one even wants you to do. Yeah, I've never done that myself, but I can imagine <laughs> I can imagine what that's like. Um my my only like very quick ad would be if you do get to a point where you want to pull back or change and and you need to do that for yourself to communicate that clearly and communicate it maybe with a, a timeline. So I need two weeks to like call myself and reset. So we're going to circle back on this date. So your partner doesn't just hear like, yeah, I need some time to calm down. 
I'll get back 100%. to you. Hundred percent. And they're just hanging out. They're like, okay, well, I guess I'll see you when I see you. And so I think that just that end that timeline, and we're going to reevaluate at this point, or we're going to check back at this point, and then sticking to that, so they can then they can count on that um, is important, I believe. Love that. All right, our next question here is: How do you? And they say the royal you, and I think they mean the royal y'all. Uh, so how do all of y'all measure or give credit for or confirm your own growth? So a lot of non-monogamy is self-growth or self-awareness. That's hopefully that includes some intentional internal work. But they're saying it's hard to feel like you've made progress when you still have the same feelings coming up again. And so if there's anything to kind of look to 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 actually feel like you're making some progress? Is it, you know, journaling or getting feedback from partners or anything measurable that you could focus on? I would say Emma shouldn't get feedback from her partner. He tends to be a bit pessimistic. About <laughs> oh, <that>. no. <laughs> this partner, this partner. I'm not speaking for any other partner. <laughs> this one here. Throwing <laughs> a different partner under the bus now. <laughs> That's such a good question uh, because it is it is something that is, you know, if anyone's on, a lot of people out there are on this like personal growth journey, especially if you're considering non-monogamy or non-monogamous. And it's hard to, uh, it's hard to quantify and, and recognize. For, for me, I just wanted to give a quick example. One, I've struggled with jealousy and insecurities a lot more than Finn has. And there, for me, it's been a struggle for many years, but I see myself, I've measured growth in the, as we've developed and um, grown our, changed our relationship and the, I've seen growth in the conversations we're able to have and the, my comfortability with different things and recognizing that I can handle like the emotions better. So it's not that the emotions don't come up. Jealousy can still come up or whatever emotion, but I can, I'm learning how to navigate that smoother for myself. And I can tell that because it's getting, well, not always easy and definitely not perfect at it. It's, it has gotten easier. Um, also journaling helps go back and read journals from the past and look at where you were and think about where you're at now. And there's still things that, you know, you're always we're humans. We're always going to be working on things. But yeah, those are just some examples from my life. Yeah, I was just going to jump back in and say, like, I'm not put, eternally beating Emma down. It's it's my <laughs> my this is a thing I've learned about myself. And that is going to be very become very vivid to me in the last nine months is my propensity to tell myself that I'm doing something wrong and that everything is wrong. And I have to work extremely hard to not project that. And so if, if there is a misstep, it's really easy for me to say, throw the whole, you know, throw it all out with the bathwater, the baby out with the bathwater. And so that's a thing I'm working really hard on. And Emma actually has gotten a lot better at pushing back on me and saying like, I don't agree with you. I think this is getting better. And then it checks me and I go, okay, yeah, you're right. I was, I was catastrophizing. And so that was sort of where that, that's a, that's that a good point was coming. Get feedback from other people in your life because mm. they'll, they'll oh, notice God. changes. Oh yes. Oh yes, definitely. Well, I think I can second the whole journaling thing. And it took me forever to actually get into a journaling practice until I made it super simple for myself. So like took up all the pressure to make something that sounded really brilliant or even write more than a few sentences at a time. And I will say that I love looking back through my journals for this very reason. So on the one hand, it can be really nice to look back and realize, oh my goodness, things are so different now. You know, this doesn't feel like an issue anymore, or I feel like I've improved so much here. But also on the flip side, it's not always positive necessarily. Like, like looking back through a journal means you can also see the things that are repeating patterns, right? And for me, when I've looked at that, if I'm in a place again where I'm feeling relatively calm and relatively collected and can look back on that, for me, it feels less upsetting and it feels more almost like it's clarifying. Like, oh, this is so interesting. I'm able to hone in more on this pattern or I'm able to hone in more on 
this specific element in common that tends to trigger my jealousy or my insecurities really badly. And that can be uncomfortable. And I can totally relate to the sense of frustration of, oh my God, I'm not making progress or I'm not improving. But just the process of, I think, essentially just like getting more information and more data helps move you in the direction of knowing what to even look at, right? Or what to even get curious about further. So I think that looking back through a journal, even when you're seeing, oh gosh, like I was jealous about this thing a year ago and I'm still jealous about it today. Like that that's giving you extra data points. I know we keep talking about data points and it doesn't sound very sexy, but I promise it can be sexy. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like having a tool like Radar, which we talk about a lot on this show, you know, a monthly relationship check-in is really important because if you take notes during it or take notes like throughout the time that you uh, have in between your radars or just at the actual radar, it's really interesting to go back and look at like, what were my action points for the specific radar before? Or what were they a year ago or a year before that? Like I have a humongous Google Doc with my partner that kind of charts where we're at. And I see you know, the times where a relationship was super tumultuous and where we were going through a lot and how different it is now that we're in, you know, a super solid, secure place. And that's something to really celebrate. So I do think that if there are ways in which you can track over time, that that is kind of giving yourself a gift in in essence, because you're able to see like, hey, yes, I have made changes or I have moved beyond perhaps where my emotional state was for a long period of time, or if I have broken any patterns that weren't serving me. We're going to move on to our next question. Do you all struggle with practicing what you preach? Do you have any guilt around discomfort you feel due to polyamory or your partner seeing other people? Uh, No. So let's move on to the next question. (laughs) (laughs) Never. (laughs) Um, Yes, my God, all the time. I I will say that I feel, it is a weird thing having a podcast and talking about this stuff all the time. I at least appreciate that it does mean that in the moments that I'm triggered or the moments that I am crabbing at my partner or when I'm in the middle of the fight, at least there's something in my brain that knows I should be better or should be doing something different. don't always do that. But I'm like, at least there's a, I can hear that voice. And sometimes that voice breaks through and it's actually quite effective. And other times it doesn't. So yeah, sometimes I do struggle with practicing what I preach. Very well said. Thank you for saying it for me as well, Dedek. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been a theme throughout this whole episode that yeah. all of us have some guilt and shame around. But I feel like, yeah, if anything, on the show, when we talk about our fuck-ups, people relate to that much more, yeah. right? Yeah. And and I know when we've brought on guests on our show who talk about their fuck-ups, I love it. Like It feels so humanizing and it helps, ironically, can help reduce some of the shame around those things. And so that's not to say that you can just fuck up and as long as you talk about it on a podcast, then it's okay. But I will say that um, not a lot of us are served by, I think, any portrayals of relationship communication or relationship practice that involve perfection. Yeah, I was just going to jump in and... and (laughs) Build on it a little bit. I know I was kind of joking earlier, but the it is it is super hard. And it is for me, even like to build on that like frustration is like you can sit down and talk through to yourself, here's what I'm gonna do, here's how I'm gonna do it. And you walk into the ring and what is it, Mike Tyson? You get punched, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face and <laughs> it goes out the window. And you're like, then you walk away and you're like, What happened? Like, what happened there? Like I knew what I was gonna do, I had it all figured out, and like the whole thing burned to the ground and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. And, but it, like you said, like there is that voice, like you couldn't be doing better. You know, you can. And I think we probably do better in those moments. We get a little more introspective, but it's, I think it's still, it's just a really hard thing. And yeah. I think in general, relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. And so there's, we can talk about this all day. And talk to a bunch of different people and learn a lot. But when it goes to 
actually implement things. And it takes practice and time and patience and energy to like to keep going. And so there's just a, a lot there for me of just remembering that this is hard. Not monogamy is hard, but relationship in general is hard, can be hard. And monogamy even can be hard. All of it can be hard. And so having grace and it helps me to have grace and patience with myself when I remember those things. The the grace and patience note, I think, is really important, too, because something I've found for myself was just realizing that it's okay that I don't have to be super jazzed about every date or new great sex that a partner has. Like, I'm not, to be honest. I'm, I've never been super stoked about that. And I have friends who are. It's like, oh, my partner just hooked up with someone. I heard all about it. I love it. It's so hot. I'm not that person. I'm like, mm, yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> But letting myself off the hook with that and just being like, that's okay. I don't have to like be enthusiastic about that and be like, oh my gosh, that's so hot. That's awesome. But I also don't have to sit there and like dwell on it and, you know, suffer over it and be like, oh gosh, is it because I'm not good enough or all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like learning to let go of some of that, but then also not feel like I'm failing somehow if I'm not feeling the same like enthusiasm that someone else does when their partner goes on a date or or <laughs> that I'm not feeling the enthusiasm that I think I'm supposed to be feeling or something like that to just say you know it's it's okay it's it's all right I don't have to be super jazzed about that all the time yeah we had a guest like oh, neutral neutralness yeah. exactly that's what I was going to jump in and say is that we had a guest just recently say like if I feel neutral about it that's positive that's a good thing that's, yeah, right. that's success <laughs> yeah Totally. Well, this was really fun to have Emma and Finn from Normalizing Non-Monogamy on the show to help us answer questions. I Can you let us know and all of our listeners where they can find more of your work and what you're doing right now? Like you're about to move right to San Francisco. That's really exciting. Yeah. So first of all, you can find us on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com or on Instagram. But you can also find us on any podcast player out there. Just search for non-monogamy and we should come up. Um, thank you again for having us. Yes, we are excited to be moving to San Francisco in about a month at the end of August. And uh, it's a whole new chapter for us. We're, we're looking forward. I'm going back to grad school, which is why we're moving to San Francisco. And it's a lot of changes, but we're super excited and we're really grateful to chat with all of you today and uh, excited for the collaboration. Yeah, I would just echo Emma's gratitude and uh, thank you all for, for the work you do. I mean, I, I was going to jump in and say this when you were talking about the radar, but in our like in our community, our, our Patreon community, we do monthly Q&As and I can't tell you the number of times the people are like, we already do the radar. We are, yeah, here's how we do the radar. Can you send me the link for the radar? And it like, gets oh, referenced wow. it, all the time. It's almost oh, every wow. episode. So, oh my yeah. gosh. Yay. Yeah. That's multi-emory.com slash radar. I know where the website is. <laughs> uh, I got a bookmark. So yeah, th thank you for, for the three of you for doing all that work. And um, yeah, we're excited to move to San Francisco. I'm thinking about becoming a sugar baby because <laughs> I, don't, I, like I can't think you. of a better way to make the money. So if there's any... <laughs> Any sugar parents out there that are looking, let me know. In the Bay Area, <laughs> especially. Yeah. Probably a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, so our question that's going to be on Instagram this week is, does where you live personally affect how out you are? I think probably the answer is yes. But I, I'm also interested to hear where some of all y'all live out there. Because, yeah, we have a, a diverse, wide audience who might live in some rural areas and some more liberal areas, things like that. And if you're on our street, let us know. Put put, <laughs> right. put something out to let us know that, that yes, you're on our street. Yes, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Make yourselves known. <laughs> so the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. 
Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.